Hello and welcome to the IDO Podcast. My name is Dryden and I am your host. On today's episode, I was joined virtually by my classmate, Kristen Tideman. Kristen is a graduate student at Trinity Western in the MAIH program and she's specializing in philosophy. Kristen is a very interesting person with a very interesting story and I really enjoyed my conversation with her. So I hope you stick around and listen to the whole thing. Uh, please note that the IDO podcast is an independent production of the Graduate Student Association of Trinity Western University, and the views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of Trinity Western University or the Graduate Student Association. Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate this. Um, I know that you have a lot of really um, interesting perspectives coming into the world of philosophy. <laughs> um, and I I know that a lot of your kind of um, your academic interests, if I can make this assumption, please correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of your academic interests are kind of shaped by like your own personal journey yeah. um, and your own kind of, you know, just who you are as a person coming into this world of academic mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you, why don't we start off? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, who is Kristen Typen? Where do you come from? How did you end up at Trinity? Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- you know, that sort of thing. Tell us some fun facts. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I will hundred percent own that my academic journey has been shaped by personal questions and um, confusion. Although I I would say, I think most people's academic or even professional endeavors are quite influenced by personal motivations and in ways that I think aren't always maybe as obvious as mine, but um, yeah, it's funny what drives us or what we're curious about. And for me, even as a young kid, I've always been extremely like focused in on kind of I guess, metaphysical realities of like, like life, but also what that means for faith and reality. And I know this, like, I know this from different distinct experiences growing up. So yeah, I'm from the U S um, I'll just, yeah, kind of paint this broad picture, but I, I grew up, yeah, very churched, very involved with church from like day one. Like I remember, um, at like age three or four, we like, we were going to church and asked a question about one of our little friends from preschool or something. My mom's like, Oh yeah, she doesn't go to church. Her family doesn't go. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't (laughs) know people didn't go to church until then. Um, but yeah, so, you know, always very keen on kind of learning like, okay, what is this all about? You know, like, again, you're kind of spoon you know you're spoon fed certain ideas of like this is good you know god is love and all these things that are kind of general broad concepts but always like even as a young kid very interested in like well what does this really mean like having kind of like a freak out panic attack at the thought of like the eternity of heaven because i couldn't comprehend it and i didn't know what we would do and at like age six or seven i think that's like a universal evangelical childhood thing like laying awake at night and trying to comprehend like the eternity of existence um, like in heaven, like existence without end. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that. I've heard a lot of people talk about yeah. that. Well, it's funny. And that's the thing. I mean, that's partially where conversations are so useful because I grew up with a twin sister who like was not worried about these things mm. 
you know? So it was like, I was always like, why am I freaking out? And you're just fine. And then, you know, going into middle school, learning about Calvinism and predestination and kind of like freaking out about that and being like, people have no hope and they're just born and they're going to die and be consciously tormented forever. (laughs) And like that being a thing that didn't bother my sister or even kind of my family, or at least not in a way that we talked about, because you don't really, that's not really the cultural Christianity. I think we experience normally, you know, you're not like, because I mean, there's a lot of implications of that. And one of them would be, you'd probably be out preaching on the corner all the time. If you really thought that, but that, I mean, that's been said before, this is not a new thought. So anyway, so all of this were, were factors and like, I've always had this also kind of drive to be, I think respectable or, you know, seen as someone who's kind of smart, which is like, <laughs> I, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have that. No one wants to be, no one wants to be viewed as dumb. I don't think, but it was, I knew, you know, once you kind of can get some good grades and you kind of know that you can do things, you also, it kind of becomes your identity and identity is really important in how we experience the world and um, what we value and whatnot. So, so in undergrad um, was already kind of humanities oriented, um, which was, I think kind of a, like a family culture thing as well, but studied English and like loved it. And like, but also, you know, it's undergrad, you kind of have fun. And like, I remember like halfway through undergrad being like, Oh, this ends. And I don't know what job I'm going to have. Like, I was like, uh, cause I was kind of thinking of being a lawyer, um, for a while, but then, uh, actually studied abroad and, and still took the LSAT, but had like basically lost all motivation to yeah. be a lawyer. Um, yeah, I took the LSAT in 2013 and like I was studying in the park, like on a picnic blanket and like very not taking it seriously. Um, and so it was that, it was that same summer I decided to do this program with, um, a Christian organization in Ecuador. So instead of doing my, what would have been my last semester of undergrad, I did this program in Ecuador. Um, and that was really pivotal because it was kind of like, you know, uh, transitioning into adulthood. Like I had one more semester to do, but it was going to, you know, that would be brief. Whereas this was like seven months working with this organization abroad, kind of like interning and doing, you know, doing like Christian work, like not really missionary, but like helping people, you know, this kind of vision you have of like, let's save the world. Let's care about the world. Um, and like, yeah, we were going to like soup kitchens and, uh, we would go to this juvenile detention center every week and work with low income families and kids and different, you know, whatever projects. It was a lot of it was kind of random. We did these art campaigns and stuff. So it was all random. But again, I'm like, this is yeah, what life's about. You're supposed to like go and interact with people and like, just love them naturally. Um, anyway, all this will get into the degree stuff here at some point, but, um, I did that. And then I actually did go back and finish my last semester kind of briefly, but then went right back to Ecuador and then was there for like really most of the next, the last two and a half years, like after graduating from undergrad. So like initially was kind of still doing the internship thing, but then ended up working there doing like admissions, like talking to people who are interested in the program as well as like on the ground stuff. And I think like a lot of what was there at the beginning was like, it was, it wasn't like it was phony, but it was very hyped up and it's just like with college or some other environments, like a very, un, a very temporary environment and like almost non-normal. Like the first year we were there was like 12 young people living in a house together. Like that's just not, 
that's not reality for like the long term usually, you know, and none of us worked because we, you had to fundraise to go there. So we were like all doing this thing together. Like that's not a, that's not like a lifestyle that you maintain for your, I mean, some people can, but, um, it's kind of like this, you know, fun, like youthful thing to do where you're like, we all live together and we just do this like Christian stuff and we learn and, you know, so kind of romantic, uh, experience in that way. So then when I was kind of working and a lot of people phased out and even the directors, um, ended up leaving, I, I was kind of like tired, like, and I was just working there and like, kind of like, well, what are we achieving? Like, what are the metrics? And I think like, it was this whole thing where I was like, well, this is going to give me all my purpose. And like, you know, vision for life. But then it was kind of like I left and I was just exhausted and kind of burnt out, which you're just like, you never really expect, I think, is yeah, a kid growing up um, and doing a Christian thing. So anyway, I'm going to speed this up a little bit. Yeah, no, um, no worries. <laughs> so did that. And then I actually came back to Philly and just based off of some of my experience doing like the admissions and kind of marketing and stuff, um, got a job with a web design and uh, development agency, which or, and branding agency, which was actually really cool. And um, and was like you know felt kind of like more like a real job. Like I went to an office every day as opposed to like <laughs> doing whatever in Ecuador needed to be done. Um, and yeah, it was really cool. I started in biz business development, and then um after like a year there, they were like, you can do like, I was very, you know, communally oriented as I am people oriented. And, um, I was made community manager, which meant I got to do a lot of events and, um, networking stuff and like admin and operation stuff too, but it was fun. And I was learning a lot and we talked a lot about like user experience. And I think a lot about design, which is, you know, that, that seems like, oh yeah, and designers are cool and whatnot, but kind of realizing how much that impacts a lot of daily life, like how mm. we experience spaces, um, books, and even, our, you know, argument design or strategy design, like just how much of our daily experience is impacted by the, you know, the strategizing of others. And even, in, I mean, we all use technology every day. That's the most probably evident example of when, where this is like so applied and so thought through, but like when, yeah, when there's a bad technological experience, you're like, no, no, you know, like I'm always like, when something's wrong, I'm like shaking my phone. I'm like, work, work, you know? Um, anyway. And while I was there, uh, some of the people who worked there were very into the, I, uh, the ideas of Sam Harris, who's like mm. the, one of the kind of new atheist dudes, the, very the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse. Correct. That's right. Yeah. And he is a very smart guy. He's kind of, you know, popular in different circles. He's like done stuff with like Jordan Peterson. So it's kind of funny. These like online guys that, I mean, they're different standpoints, but they like have symposiums or whatever together. Um, But his, one of his big things, he wrote like letter to a Christian nation, which I haven't read, but one of his big things in like his study of neuroscience is like, Oh, we don't have free will. (laughs) Like yeah, we are just, uh, yeah, basically biology and um, we're science and we're impulses firing through neurons and we don't control any of that. It's just a result of all the things that have happened beforehand. Yeah. And at that time, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, no, I'm just agreeing with you. Oh, yeah. So yeah. at that time I was, I mean, I was going to church there. I was like kind of, you know, involved in stuff, but I, I mean, there's a lot of things that always are combined. A lot of factors are influencing us at once at all times, Mm -hmm. but this actually became a big factor in that I was like 
you know, frick, what are we like? That's not right. Like we're not just science. And also I can't prove that we're not. And it really started to kind of trouble me. It's like, I know know that he's wrong, but I'm not smart enough to refute it. So it's like, yeah, no, totally, totally. And I, I think I always was, you know, I've always, again, kind of had questions about things that I don't understand, really wanted to know them. Again, some people are just fine not knowing things. And I think that's fine. And I'm not one of them. I like <laughs> have deep curiosity and I like need to scratch the itch. Um, and I'm probably kind of obsessive about stuff. So I, I was, I had actually visited my sister out here in, in Langley when she was doing the linguistics program at Trinity. And I remember kind of being like, wow, this is like a whole lifestyle. Like this is like a beautiful place to live. She's got this community of learning and really awesome friends around her. And I mean, a little cheaper than the U S in terms of education and just different and like mixing it up. And my undergrad I did at university of Pittsburgh, which was awesome. But like you're just Christians just aren't taken seriously in classes there. Like right. you're just not. And it's just what you get used to. Yeah. Like I distinctly remember a prof being like, oh, you know, the Christians are out there on the corner giving people hot chocolate. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, wow, I'm having such a internal battle right now. Cause this is like, I have been that person. And also I'm like, whoa, what a weird thing to, you know, like I get what she's saying, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway. So I was like, oh, it's really, if I was to get, and I thought about, again, I thought about uh, getting my, you know, um, going to law school. And I thought about getting another degree in like international development, like different master's programs through the years between or after undergrad. So I'd kind of considered some, you know, things before, but I was like, okay, well, if I really want to go and like learn, and these are the questions I have. I was like, I really would like to, this interdisciplinary humanities thing looks awesome. Like it combines my English thing that I like. And I had minored, I'd minored in history in undergrad too. I was like, it's got that, but then it's got this thing that I didn't really explore that I think is now relevant of like philosophy, which I've always, again, kind of had this side interest in, but not really explored. So um, maybe we should clarify this just for our listeners. So you oh, are, sure. so you are in the MAIH program at Trinity and you are specialized in philosophy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say then I applied to that at that point working at, uh, working in Philly. And I actually started telling people I was going to grad school before I even applied. <laughs> it was like such a, that was honestly in a way that's kind of dumb, you know, imagine if I had been like, Oh, I didn't get accepted or something, but I just was like, this is the move. Once I kind of get an idea in my head, I kind of am like, here we go. Here we go. So anyway, yes, I am in the MAIH specializing in philosophy. And I wanted to do it in a Christian school because I was like, I wanna I wanna see what's up. I basically want to, you know, I wanna go and I wanna get answers. So what I yeah. learned this year is what I really was trying to do was to go to get an apologetics degree, mm. <laughs> basically with the yeah. guise of philosophy. And now as a good master's program will do, all of my original intentions have been, it's not even that they weren't answered. It's that they no longer are relevant. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's not where your yeah. mind is anymore. Exactly. Everything else has been, everything's been changed. And Cool. Yeah. So, so, um, so why don't you share a little bit about um, your own kind of um, your own kind of academic journey? Like, what are you specifically interested in? I know we were just talking before we started recording about uh, your final project that you're working on for Mm -hmm. the MA. Um, 
I'm actually, I'm super intrigued by your, by your final project because it's such an interesting topic and you're doing it in, in such a cool way. So um, why don't you talk about your own kind of like academic interests and how that kind of led you into um, this final, uh, this final project that you're working on right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm so excited to listen to this in like a few years because this is going to be such an <laughs> answer of this moment that could be different if you were asking it in a week or had asked it a month ago. Um I, where to begin? Last fall, when we were in Jens's class and Myron's class, so there were two classes. One was on hermeneutics, um, and one was on reason and belief in God. Both of those were huge, like, were huge, just like shifting things, exposing me to new, different um, thinkers and ways of thinking. And even things that accorded with like aspects of my experience that I had no words for previously. Um, Like the fact that we, I'm like, oh yeah, we are located in history and time. That's been huge for me. Like we don't just come up with our ideas uh, out of nowhere. We are, you know, influenced by our families and our cultures and a lot of things that we don't even have control over. I know Um, Jens, Jens, Dr. Jens Zimmerman, he loves to use those terms like locatedness or situatedness. Yes. Which is like, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that's it's again, I'm going to keep returning to this probably, but it's the whole lie of the 21st century that we're approaching things objectively. It's, or that we're, that we're just objective individuals that are just oh, totally. make, making our own way. And yeah. Yeah. Like that. We are just sitting somewhere and being like, I can judge this situation. <laughs> oh, I have no biases. Like we, it's so, it's so funny because we half know this, like we half know this in a cultural way because we're starting to acknowledge our biases more publicly with a lot of things going on culturally in terms of, you know, racism. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of other issues that are coming to the fore more than ever. Um, but in a way we don't know it and we don't want to know it. And I'm, I'm being really influenced by a podcast I listened to recently with Pete, Pete Rollins, who's like very much mm-hmm. like, we don't want to know what we know. And that's is this, crazy. Is this Peter Rollins, the Irish uh, yes. Christian philosopher, theologian? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yes. yeah. So I was just listening to him the other day and he was like, pinning, like putting a pin on so many things. I was like, yes, this is a recent <laughs> thing. So like, yeah. Um, basically, I think in reason and belief in God in both classes, but especially reason and belief in God, I started to face a lot of things that the thing is I was scared to face them. I didn't want to ask these questions of like, well, how can we know? Even though I, I, I only wanted to get answers because that's what we've been trying to do. I think as evangelicals is actually don't really engage with the questions, get the answers, and then yeah. you can evade the questions and get, the uncomfortable get, process. Get this slick kind of apologetic response and then move on. Exactly. Yeah. Which like, and I've had people ask me questions before where I didn't even listen, honestly. Mm. Like I listened only ready to respond. And I see that now. Like I had someone who, who just honestly was like, I don't understand. They were just like, I don't understand why we would have to praise God for everything when we're doing things. Like I, like it just doesn't make any sense to me. And like, Mm. I, it was an honest question and I wasn't even ready to hear it at all. Like I was like, well, here's the thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just going into explainer mode. And that's, again, it's just kind of what we absorb of the, like, that's kind of what you're supposed to do because we, it's just, we don't have space for those sorts of questions because it's, it's culturally against what (laughs) kind of occurred through the combination of um, the industrial revolution, I would say, and like the scientification of a lot of stuff and um, different 
cultural movements and the need for comfort because certainty yeah. breeds comfort. So I would say this is actually um, a lot of the beginning of where I was starting to see things differently, even if I didn't really know it, because it takes mm. something that Th- Thomas Ord said to me is like, basically it takes a long time to actually realize what you think kind of too. Yeah. Like, is such a slow process, you know? Um, and that's honestly, yeah, what I'm kind of in the midst of too, in terms of what I'm reevaluating. So then the other thing, and this is where I'm like, I'm, I'm simultaneously too at a point where I'm evaluating the, the relevancy of chance in the universe and fate and like trying to figure it out. So there was this moment very early on in undergrad where I met Shelby, which was like, feels faded, honestly, because it shout has out to Shelby Bennett, shout who, out to Shelby Bennett, who's um, a Idol podcast veteran over here yeah, and has just defended her thesis. Yes. Congratulations, way. Shelby, by the way, yeah. shout out to Shelby for a successful thesis defense. Such an incredible person. Shelby is Shelby. Sorry. I know this is not about her, but if anyone's <laughs> listening, Shelby is the kind of person that when she talks to you, you feel like you are being seen for the person you want to be, which is mm. insane. And she has very graciously gone through a process that, you know, you could label as deconstruction or whatnot, but, but definitely a faith shaking, changing process. And it has been indescribably helpful to have her and other friends around me to go through these questioning, like these big questions with, it's been crazy. And her with this kind of very nuanced and educated biblical studies perspective, um, amongst others, you know, and you, you and Ben, you know, having different perspectives you're bringing to things I'm looking at. It's just, and that's essentially, it's crazy. Cause I, you know, I came for the apologetics degree. That isn't really what I got, but I did get this community of learning that was like insanely rich and like so exciting and that's kind of ongoing honestly like Shelby and I recently watched a talk by someone like we started it separately we didn't even really intend to but we're kind of you know exposed to some of the same things and then we called each other to like talk about it and like the different points and like evaluate it you know logically and also like in terms of biblical scholarship but anyway that's an aside so that started to happen and then I had this community in which you know we people were starting to look at things really honestly. And I realized, I think this kind of does expose a lot of, again, where, where in the search for just answers, you're unable to ask the questions um, that come to mind. And there's someone now who's kind of talking, they released a book recently. I don't want to say any names because I feel like it'd be weird, but they released a book recently that's kind of about deconstruction. Um, and their thing is basically like, well, there's good deconstruction and bad deconstruction. And wow, I I do get ahead of myself because I know you know what this means, but deconstruction basically for those who don't know, it can be used in different terms. And Derrida is one who is really, uh, I am still convinced that no one actually knows what Derrida was talking about (laughs) when he talked about deconstruction. You won't convince me that anyone actually reads Derrida and actually understands exactly what that guy was talking about. But I mean, anyway, that's my own philosophical frustrations coming up, but (laughs) no, that's nice. No. So, so in this context, I'm just using it in terms of deconstruction of of the christian faith i'll say even if i'm going to nuance it more specifically the evangelical christian um i mean worldview really yeah Uh, but yeah kind of taking that apart so so yeah so in this in this kind of starting to evaluate deconstruction it's so funny i was trying to think the other day when i first heard that term and i don't know i can't think of when but at some point it became very familiar you know and hearing it talked about and whatnot and then seeing it, whether named or not, in a lot of people I knew. So um, about 
at the end of the first semester, I went to this wedding in Portland. Um, and a very good friend of mine, who the one who's getting married, who had been in Ecuador with me, basically told me at this wedding reception that like he and his wife were not Christians anymore. Like his new mm-hmm. wife, they're like, Yeah, we're not Christians, like straight up. He's like, sorry to tell you here. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and then these other people who were there, kind of same thing. Other people who had been in Ecuador that lived um, in Oregon were like, yeah, we're not really, we don't really go to church and stuff anymore. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. You know, like kind of shaken by that. And then other people, I mean, a lot of people from my experience in Ecuador are like out, they're just out on church. And I was like, what is this? You know, like what a weird, yeah, phenomenon to go on. And then seeing that you know, in, in other people back home and whatnot. And kind of, yeah, just like, I'm like, there's something happening. So that's really where my interest got started for this final project is like, something's happening. I see it around me. It's it's frequent and it's happening with me. So, oh yeah, let me return really quickly. There's this person that released that book and they're like, there's two types of deconstruction, good type and bad type. Mm -hmm. Um, and essentially it's implied that the good type is the type where you just end up kind of back in Christianity, but you're more confident, I think, right. I guess, having explored these questions, you know, or being able to live with doubt. I actually don't really know. It seems a little unclear because how on earth are you supposed to be able to honestly deconstruct things you believe if it's completely motivated to an end? You know what right. I mean? How can you know it's if it's determined by the end? And I, I was like, you can't, you have to go into it. But this brings up the question of like, is there any genuine human intellectual endeavor that isn't motivated by an end, right? Is there ever, um, is there ever like an effort to learn or an effort to research, which isn't in some sense motivated by some preconceived bias or I'm, I'm just playing yeah. devil's advocate here. No, but, no, no. And I, yeah. and I think you make a good point. I guess the thing is like, like even in what I'm doing in my program, ha- like if I had stayed on the route of kind of like it's apologetics. Like I'm getting this degree where I get the answers. Everything becomes slave to that end. You know what yeah. I mean? If I'm not, and that's kind of the way of like, I mean, I think that there's like something in the ability to sacrifice everything that gets in the way, you know, even if it's like, it seems like the thing itself, like just being willing to constantly be like, you know, what am I, what am I letting, how do I phrase this? Be paramount. Like I'm kind of even thinking like C.S. Lewis talks about God being the great iconoclast, which is mm. funny. This guy who wrote the book about deconstruction, like talks, he even referenced this section that I, that I knew from C.S. Lewis quite, quite well, where it's like, God is a great iconoclast. He shatters, um, even like our image of him over and over, like shattering, yeah these, these preconceived notions we have. So I think that's it. I, I don't necessarily, we, we can't be free of bias for sure. Yeah. And also the tighter we grip onto something at the end without letting the process actually guide it, guide us there. I think that's just, again, I think that's in holding on to a type of certainty that we want holding on to like comfort. And again, yeah, maybe we'll ne- we're never able to be maybe totally free of that because we're constantly, you know, influenced by every part of our past and and again desirous of you know comfort and probably a good time and things like that but i think um the more we don't 
try to predetermine the outcome, I think that helps the endeavor. So totally. Yeah. 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 So with all that being said, then what is the, what, what is the fundamental kind of goal of your uh, final <laughs> project? I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by our final project just because yeah. even just the form that it's taking is so unique and totally, uh, I think totally. so lucrative. So what, what is the underlying question that's kind of motivating your research and how are you kind of going about it? Yeah. So I guess it's kind of twofold. The things I keep saying to Myra and my advisor, um, one is to equip people who, like me, before doing this master's program, have questions, want to evaluate them, will never do, however, will never do a degree, probably, or at least not mm-hmm. for a long time, and want to be better equipped with language to address these certain things, like giving better hermeneutic access to people. Um, being a bridge, this is like a big thing, Shelby, and I talk about being a bridge between the philosophy that's practiced within you know, the ivory tower or whatnot, and everyday life in which we constantly apply philosophy to our lives. We are constantly evaluating, you know, ethical questions and, and questioning, yeah, purpose of reality. Um, Whether, you know, again, whether overtly or kind of subconsciously assessing different things in our lives. So providing language, um, demonstrating, you know, kind of commonality and different experiences. And I don't think that's unique. Like I do think a lot of, a lot of podcasts and and articles, lots of projects are doing this in terms of exploring the deconstruction process. However, there's something to it being more succinct and, and kind of um, abbreviated in four episodes that I think is useful. So that's part one. And then the other uh, part two is kind of the fact that it's being done like, a lot like philosophically like kind of assessing like I think a lot of these deconstruction yeah uh resources are done quite theologically or from the mm. standpoint of yeah pastors ex-pastors theologians not everything um but kind of like highlighting some of the key issues in that like I mean, hugely important is the problem of evil, which I took the suffering and belief in God class this past fall. And that was, I mean, it's so heavy, you know, and then that, that opens you up to um, different concepts within, you know, I mean, yeah, metaphysical questions of, of God's power. And, and then, I mean, all of this is like, it's like almost hilarious sometimes how interdisciplinary everything is, because again, before we started recording, I'm talking about the influence of Augustine or Augustine and Aquinas on the Christian faith of today, the huge influence they've both had amongst others, you know, how they are meet when we read any biblical text, we're reading it with, I mean, mediated through these different sure. speakers of the past. So there's this historical influence, but that that's also tied. Um, this is the thing I was saying to Claire the other day, like there's an, inextricably uh linked reality of the of western philosophy and thought and and the church and the western church and christianity and again that traces back to plato um so just kind of recognizing that i think it's i think it's pretty for me it's been pretty humbling and also like maybe i mean maybe you could summarize my whole thing by like (laughs) getting people to get rid of certainty that would be nice Mm. or to be like uh just kind of maybe disturb their minds a bit like (laughs) and and for that to be I think for me it's been exciting and I mean while also being terrifying and knowing that I'm not done like I'm in process as I say a million times 
But I, I think there's just, that's the beginning of a, if anything, maybe it's the beginning of a conversation in a new way for people. Um, I think like, I know how rich it's made my life to have real in, in-person conversations with individuals also thinking through different things. That's something that will always be, I hope a goal of my life is to, to promote real in-person interactions. And I, and, I, and I think that's, I mean, I mean, it's hard to talk about in, in, uh, personal interactions in uh, the middle of a global pandemic. Yes. But, yeah. Um, I think that's something that we can all agree is one of like the like silver linings of grad school is just like being in community with people who are in similar boats as you and are totally you know, um, asking the same questions. And yeah. I, unfortunately, I think that's something that a lot of people, um, I mean, I mean, most people don't go to grad school, so I'm, I'm, not, saying <laughs> that, I'm not saying everyone needs to go to grad yeah. school, but um I think in and insert an ad here for Trinity grads. <laughs> insert an ad. No, you know what? This podcast is proudly sponsor free. We are. Oh, <laughs> we, we are a totally independent production. Me in my basement here with my microphone set up. Um, Does that mean you curse now on the podcast? I haven't yet. Um, I have, I've had a few people on who I expected to maybe break that barrier, but no one has yet. Do you want to be the first one? We'll find out. That would be a big move. <laughs> I rarely, I rarely curse in real life, let alone recorded, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, it might be just fun. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll try to get you really heated here in a second. <laughs> do you, I'm curious, do you find, um, I mean, coming from the U S to Canada, mm-hmm. is there like, to, to what extent have you noticed, um, a kind of a culture shock in how, um, in Christian culture from in the States opposed to Christian culture in Canada. Um, I mean, I think yeah. sometimes Canadian Christians would like there to be a big cultural difference there, if I'm being honest, but maybe there isn't yeah. as big of a one as we want there to be sometimes. Yeah. Um, but has that kind of, has that been a shift for you? Has there been yeah. a noticeable kind of difference between the American and the Canadian context? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course I have to, you know, complicate things as much as possible. So I've got to give this weird answer, but um like I come from, I was in, I was in Philly for the two right. years before coming here. Philly is an Eastern Northeastern city where kind of, you know, close to New York, very fast moving, very not Christian in right. it's like just way of being like, I, there was one other guy in my, <laughs> there was one other guy in my office who was like a Christian and I have interviewed him for my final project because <laughs> he's no longer a Christian. <laughs> like, okay. Like every, I mean, again, this is where it's like such a thing. I'm like, how is this so many people, but who have gone through this kind of deconstruction, but yeah, um, it was kind of seen as weird that I was there as a Christian. And again, that's where, again, this motivator of, oh, well, I have to show people that I can, you know, be a respectable, hardworking person who also has faith, which in a way that's not gone, but it, I want the motivator of pride and, and kind of one upping people to be gone maybe. For sure. Or showing people or even like, again, well, this, this goes back to like, you know, what we can know about the afterlife and perhaps, but like the motivator of hell maybe being gone in my Mm. life. Um, That's a whole other conversation, but (laughs) I know that that being said, I know a lot of the, I would say maybe more rural and, and Southern. And like, I have a lot of family in Texas that almost is like, it's like almost at times they're trying to be a stereotype of people that live in Texas. I'm like, you grew up in New Hampshire. Like what's happening? They're like, we're going to buy the, our guns. That's the power of Texas, man. Texas like, changes what people. What's going on? Yeah. They're like buying guns and stuff. And yeah. my, my mom's like, what? Like it's her, you know, her family. Um, 
so that there's that aspect that I do think, I mean, again, it's so cultural that it's like, again, we, it's a fiction to pretend that it's not, you know, the kind yeah. of Christianity that's practiced and what gets accepted and not, you know, um, in certain regards, I was talking to someone recently, you know, about, uh, I mean, just, just a different, uh, a different issue in church. I'm not going to get too into it, but the fact that like divorce is not promoted in the new mm. Testament, it's actually very, you know, it's like not a good thing. Divorce yeah. is very bad. When do you ever hear anyone making a stink about people being divorced in church and coming to church? Yeah. They don't because, I, and it, historically they did, historically they have, but now it's just like, okay, yeah, you're divorced and we have kind of gotten over that. And that's a cultural thing that happened, mm. you know, that's not really a traditional belief and it's not really like, it's not a thing that, you know, like we got handed down on, you know, day you know, 75 AD or whatever. Like it's, it's a thing that's happened recently. Anyway, it's just, that's crazy to me. So that's one thing. It's very cultural. Uh, I'm, I haven't read it yet, so I can't say these things, but I've listened to some interviews, the Jesus and John Wayne thing Mm. and the influence of like kind of being this rugged man and that being so paramount and also being a Christian, like the fact, like why do Christians love war? That's like yeah. in the U.S. That's a cultural thing. That's so freaking weird, yeah. you know, that that happened. But it's not examined, so it's just like, yeah, war. We love battle. I re- I recall. Um, I'm sure you've encountered uh, Eric Metaxas in. in- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he um he tweeted something once. I d- I I don't follow him on Twitter. Just let's yeah. just get that clear. But he tweeted <laughs> something that got on my radar somehow and. Yeah. Something about like biblical manhood and like, you know, oh, the, the biblical yeah. definition of a man is is someone who, you know, is a protector of the family and who is blah, blah, blah. And I thought like, have you not read the gospels? <laughs> like, like you have Jesus in the gospel saying like, put away your sword. If you live by the sword, yeah. you'll die by the sword. How yeah. do you read that? And then get this definition of masculinity out of it where we need to have guns and warfare and yeah um yeah. you know but anyway that's all beside the point well i mean um, yo we're getting hermeneutics here beautiful <laughs> stuff um yeah so that's i mean that's just the thing like that was it all right sorry you got it's, all the stuff that's so top of mind has to come in but it's because i also i'm like focused on it because it's been so relevant to my project but this yeah. one thing of like the same person that wrote this thing about uh deconstruction was like well there are good readings of the bible and bad readings of the bible mm. and here's the thing we hear that and like on an evangelical level we say oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. good readings and bad readings yeah and on a very critical level you're like what I'm like, who determines that? Yeah. Who gets this? And there's a billion readings. Which ones are good? Which ones are bad? How do you know? How do you that, know? That's I mean, the thing. Like, I don't have a problem with the claim that there are bad readings of the Bible. I mean, there's there's bad ways to read any text or to interpret yeah. anything. But that is the thing. If you're assuming that you have the authority to decide who has yes. it right. And yes. I get so it. funny to me. It's just like, just so funny to me that a statement like that is said and acknowledged without nuance is like mainly the thing. Like, yeah, like I, I'm, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to be talking to someone else, I think maybe who's um, involved with one of the seminaries uh, at Axe, who I guess is kind of like talking about death of the author stuff. Mm. Um, anyway, that's a whole other, I mean, yeah, getting into hermeneutic stuff, that's a whole other thing. But anyway, um, so going back to your original question, 
of US Canada distinction. Well, so there's that aspect of where I came from, but now I'm kind of in the Bible Belt of Canada. You are. <laughs> and there's and there's also like a very different um like I know a few people from Manitoba mm. and I think maybe even I don't know if this is an Alberta thing as well, but like Mennonite culture is quite prevalent here mm-hmm. in a way that like is it is like a heritage. It's almost like a it's almost like, you know, um almost like being Jewish in the yeah. US. Like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm Mennonite or whatever, but in where I'm from, it, it's not like that. Like Mennonite is almost like Amish where I'm from. Like they wear bonnets and long yeah. skirts. Or like you'll so, hear a lot of people say like, oh yeah, I'm Mennonite, but not by faith anymore. Like just, you know, just like yeah. I'm from a Mennonite family or yeah. Yeah. So there's funny distinctions like that, which again, I highlight the nature of how much culture is inextricably a part of our faith in different ways, whether we're as overt as that or not. Um, But I think in this general area and also going to Trinity, you see that a lot of people are kind of just like, oh, yeah, Trinity, you know, in a way that I think it's not as suspicious. Yeah. Um, But I think closer to the city and when different people, it's maybe not as much like that, like in Vancouver, because I mean, BC overall is quite liberal in comparison to a lot Mm -hmm. of places in the States and, and Canada as well. Like, you know, even with like healthcare and things like that. And yeah, and I think like I've seen very little stink about people wearing masks and stuff, even where I work. Whereas, like you know, it's obviously such an issue in the U.S. And yeah, so well, and I think the re—I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could talk about this could be an episode into itself, but I think what we were saying earlier about like the modernist kind of culture of individuality. Um, I think that that feeds a lot into like the mask thing, like people feeling like they shouldn't have, they shouldn't be forced to wear a mask because like we're individuals right. who make our own choices. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, which that's a huge, I mean, that's, I was talking to someone again, so many, all these ideas are essentially plagiarized. So thank you to everyone who gave them to me. <laughs> um, the U S culture is such a rebellious culture from its inception, you know, yeah. like we're and individual individualistic. It's like, yeah, which is such a, it's so funny to me how, again, how that kind of is so prevalent in church too. It's like your relationship with God, your individual relationship yeah. being like this thing that I think is like kind of, and there's never any sense that it's like mediated by a wider community or mediated. Yeah. By a yeah. And it's also, it's, if you, I like, I I've, I've read a little bit recently about um how like, it's not, like evangelicals, if you tell them, oh, your faith is actually mediated by a community, they immediately think that that's a bad thing. But biblically speaking, yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, yeah. To, to be like, uh-huh. like faith is a communal activity. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, but anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah. But yeah. so, Kristen, if, um, sorry, did I just say, did I just pronounce your name wrong? No, okay, sorry. I get there's Kirsten's in my life and there's Kristen's in my life. And so whenever I say it, I'm like, oh, Oh, wait, what's that? Okay. Um, Is so if someone is uh, interested in your work and wants to uh, get a hold of your, uh, the final product of your research, how long do we have Ah. to wait until it's made publicly or will it be made publicly available? Um, That is my goal. That's my aim. Yeah. I guess ideally by like midsummer would be my hope, um, June or July. Oh, but I've got a lot of editing to do. And I also, yeah, you know how hard I am so aware of the the podcast. I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make like 20 plus hours of interviews into Mm. four and then compress it all. And yeah, I feel that pain. So yeah, and I'm I'm still doing my other jobs, which is like I'm just being silly this semester. This is like 
not the recommended way to do a master's degree. That's for sure. At least not this, not this semester. Um, it was too crazy. The first year was nice when I wasn't really working except for TA. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I would like to, here's the thing is like the other thing I've realized about myself is I'm very, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty scared actually, or I've historically been quite scared to say things I'm thinking be, yeah, because of how it'll be perceived and then kind of through what's going on. Um, I think that's kind of been changing uh, in terms of, I think, I mean, I'll just credit Shelby with some of this influence, like recognizing that there are things maybe I could say that would help other people or even like give them new resources that just because yeah. I've had the opportunity to be exposed to them um, and like the sense of not being alone. So, so I guess my goal is kind of to, to probably write more, like kind of synthesize some of what I've, even my papers in this program and, and whatnot, and kind of put that in some sort of resource that will probably be a website um with this project as well but yeah i i mean it's the crazy thing about school is like you've got this motivator that's right there to like finish everything that you don't have when it's just you trying to (laughs) put something together you know sometimes so um yeah we'll see i mean i yeah i've also had friends who are kind of like oh yeah what are you learning or what's and i'm kind of like oh it would be really cool to have something to just like more tangible yeah yeah cool yeah so if someone uh, is listening to this episode and they decide that they need to be friends with you, need to have a conversation with you, <laughs> uh, how, and, and I don't say this for everyone, but I know that you're a very people-oriented person and that you love making connections. So how, where can people find you around campus? Obviously, this is a- we'll, Around we'll, campus. We'll pretend the pandemic isn't happening right now. Um, oh, man. But how how can people get in touch with you? Um. Well, I think probably email is ideal because I am fickle when it comes to social media and I hop on and off. Um, So yeah, I don't know if you're publishing my full name, but it's just my full name. Kristen Tideman at gmail.com is the best one. Um, Tied to like the ocean, man, like (laughs) man, like a man, man, like the patriarchy, man, like the patriarchy. Oh my goodness. We, after Shelby's thesis, we bought a pinata. Claire bought it. And then we were like, oh, yeah, this is so fun. Like a little outdoor thing. Now that we're yeah. allowed to be outdoors. We're like, what do we do? Do we name it? And then someone was like, let's name it the patriarchy. So then we, <laughs> we smashed the patriarchy. Smashed the patriarchy. It yeah. was so silly and so exhilarating. <laughs> perfect, perfect metaphor. Yes. Well, Kristen, thank you very much for being on the show today. Um, And um, yeah, everyone listening, uh, Kristen loves making friends, loves meeting people. (laughs) So please don't hesitate to say hi if you uh, encounter her out in the wild. uh, With that being said... I'll be howling at the moon outside. That's usually what she does all night. We think it's a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kristen, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later.